Thanks for tuning in to the Fertility Health Podcast, hosted by renowned fertility specialist Mark Trollis, MD. Each episode features first-hand advice and potential treatment news, tips, and strategies listeners can use on their fertility journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Trollis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Fertility Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Trollis. And today we're going to be speaking about fertility and lifestyle. So really what I would call prep for pregnancy. You know, trying to conceive or when, you, when you're planning to have a baby, uh, it's really a tremendous responsibility to ensure that you and baby are the healthiest to, to maximize a, a good outcome. And so uh, I wanted to bring a good friend on who, who is very, very interested in this area uh, of, of research and, and uh, optimizing pregnancy outcomes by addressing lifestyle and behavior modifications before pregnancy. And so um, we have with us today Dr. Brooke Rossi, uh, who is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. Uh, she graduated University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and uh, completed a residency in OBGYN at the University of Rochester, then went on to do a fellowship at Brigham and Women's Hospital Harvard Medical School. So her research interests, uh, she, she had a prize paper on the effects of alcohol and IVF outcomes. Uh, and uh, we've talked a lot about this uh, um, uh, whenever we get a chance to get together. Her interests are um, f- fertility uh, uh, lifestyle factors and infertility IVF and recurrent miscarriage. She's now in private practice at Ohio Reproductive Medicine in Columbus, Ohio. So, Brooke, thank you for joining us on the Fertility Health Podcast today. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you. Yeah, great great to have you. And, and so, how, how much um, do you think uh, uh, is, is given, how much of an emphasis do you think is given on the preconception counseling uh, when we see these patients? You know, the OBGYN obviously has a, a little bit of a, uh, a, a more optimal time uh, to, to address that. So if they basically say, would you like to become pregnant in the next year, they may have that opportunity uh, to address these factors that, that you're going to talk to us today about. But what about the reproductive endocrinologist? Do you think we, we have enough time to be able to do this, given the expediency that these patients want to, be, to try to conceive? Well, I think it depends on which factor you're talking about. I think in a perfect world, you know, um, you know, a year before someone's ready to conceive, they would check in with their OBGYN, they would go through their medical history, check the medications that they're on, and have a conversation with them about what they can do to help their bodies get ready for pregnancy. But sometimes what happens is people don't have a regular gynecologist, they, you know, find a reproductive endocrinologist that maybe a friend used, and they show up to us, and you know, infertility treatment can be stressful and it can be expensive. And I think the idea is, one, how do we make sure that the woman is safely entering pregnancy for herself and for the baby? But two, how can we, are there any things that she can do to help optimize her success with treatment and make it more likely that she conceives with the treatment that we're offering her? So some of the factors, um, like, you know, smoking. I mean, hopefully we could get a patient to stop smoking over the course of months. 
other factors like maybe someone who's been struggling with their weight for years and years and years, that may take a little bit longer to help that patient. So let, let, let's stay with that. I guess that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good segue. So, you know, alcohol, nicotine products, um, even recreational drugs, what are the effects that these are going, uh, they're going to have on, on pregnancy, on fertility and also pregnancy outcomes? So let's talk about women first, um, because a lot of these different factors affect men and women sometimes in different ways. Um, smoke, we probably know the most about smoking, and we know that smoking not only affects fertility, but also greatly affects pregnancy outcomes, and it, it can increase your risk of miscarriage, preterm delivery, and other complications in pregnancy. And they've even done studies where they've looked at um, the follicular fluids, the fluid around the egg as it's developing, and they can even see evidence of tobacco use and what's in cigarettes in that fluid around the egg. So we know that these factors get throughout our whole bodies and they can affect um, outcomes with fertility and they definitely decrease your chance of getting pregnant with IVF as well. Um, yeah. So it's definitely possible in women. With men, we can see an impact on their fertility as well and often the urologist will recommend that men at least quit smoking and sometimes decrease other types of tobacco um, when they're trying to conceive as well. It seems like the, the tobacco is having a genetic impact on the eggs and the sperm and we know obviously for the woman miscarriage and and tubal pregnancy, but it's terribly addicting, uh, it just just devastating for them. Uh, and and I try to say um, uh, with sensitivity, but also with with some emphasis, is that you know what would you rather be holding, you know, a cigarette or baby? Because sometimes the cigarette smoking, or uh, we know, has has a negative impact. But what what is encouraging is that after a year of stopping, studies seem that to demonstrate that fertility is restored uh, to, to, to baseline. What are you, what are you telling your, your, your female patients about alcohol? There just doesn't seem to be a great consensus. We know any alcohol during pregnancy uh, is, is, is worrisome uh, and can cause, um, uh, obviously, fetal alcohol uh, syndrome with mental retardation. But uh, are, are you saying that before pregnancy, yeah, you can have an occasional glass of wine or strictly avoiding any, any alcohol at all? So the studies and the data on alcohol and fertility are, are kind of all over the map, to be honest with you, especially with different types of alcohol, whether the men are using or whether the women are using. Um, the study that we did looked at IVF and alcohol outcomes, and we found that patients um, that if patients were drinking four or more drinks per week, that it had a negative impact on their chance of getting pregnant with IVF. So... Sometimes I will extrapolate that to kind of regular fertility and say, um, you know, just tell the patients, hey, the data on alcohol use and fertility is not good, but let's try to keep it at least less than four drinks a week. Now, I'll also mention to remind them that after they ovulate in that two-week window, they could become pregnant and they might not know it yet. So I do try to encourage them, as you're saying, because no amount of safe in pregnancy, I'll tell them, you know, really try not to drink um, you know, in those two weeks after you've ovulated right. as well. You know, recently, uh, you probably saw it as well, there doesn't seem to be a known detrimental effect on the outcome with the use of marijuana. I mean, now that medical marijuana and the use of marijuana seems to be much more acceptable and legal, um, it's, I'm not seeing evidence uh, that it's, it's impairing outcome. What, what are you seeing? I'm... I'm seeing the same kind of confusing studies and data. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the national organizations 
the, um, the College of OBGYN and ASRM are still recommending that people not smoke um, right. during pregnancy, not use marijuana during pregnancy. But in terms of fertility, the studies are really hard to make out in terms of, you know, if you had a patient telling them how much is safe, if at all. The other topic I think is um, kind of interesting is, you know, a lot more patients are using electronic cigarettes now or vaping. And we have very little data on that as well. I mean, sometimes people do that because they think it may actually be safer than smoking cigarettes. But I, you know, there's still a lot of chemicals in in that um, in the fluid that they're vaping with, and I don't think we know if that's safer or any better than tobacco. We just don't have the data right. on it. Right. Yeah. So let's absolutely let's switch over to some medical issues. Um, I think it's clear that if, if, if a woman has an unstable medical problem, we're talking about diabetes, hypertension, uh, thyroid disease, um, uh, or even uh, psychiatric illness that's, that's unstable, not a good idea uh, to go into a pregnancy like that. Uh, so that's the counseling that, that, that we address and get them optimized. You know, so when we tell the patients we need to get that addressed, we're not saying that you can't get pregnant. Uh, and there are very few diseases that, that are real contraindications to pregnancy. But um, we just wanted to get more optimal. But medications that they're on, uh, um, those are important uh, because of what's called pregnancy categories. And, and uh, a lot of the patients don't know that there are, there are pregnancy categories of the drugs that they're on uh, that, the, that, that, that they're being prescribed. And A, of course, is the best, and nobody's an A. But B is as good as it gets. And there are some Bs. C, we're getting much more concerning about the risks. D, uh, really have to have a tremendous justification because of the risk of birth defects. And X, of course, is contraindicated. Uh, given that, uh, with medicines, what about the herbs that, that these, some of these patients are taking? Are there any herbs that, that you would say, Brooke, that, look, I don't think you should be on this for pregnancy? So a couple things about that. Um, you know, sometimes people will read on the internet about different medications that are, quote, like hormonally active and they think they might be safer than what we would give them. And a lot of times, I mean, either one of two things. One, either it's not working, in which case it's not going to help you, or two, it actually does work. And then you're taking a medicine that's hormonal, which may not be working the way you want to, or may interact with the fertility medicines we're trying to give. So I, if I'm treating somebody with you know, medications, IVF medications or Clomid, Clomiphene citrate, something like that, I will often ask them to stop if they're taking any, you know, like medicines they think are hormonal. Um, sometimes I also find that patients will kind of take them incorrectly. Like they may find progesterone gel on the Internet and be using it every day of the month, which is not physiologic or helpful and may actually be making it harder for them to get pregnant. So I think it's very important. I always ask my patients if they're taking any medicines, and then I say, are you taking any supplements? Because sometimes they don't think the supplements are medicines, and sometimes they're almost a little bit embarrassed to tell the infertility doctor what they're taking. Um, and I would say, though, that um, although the data on you know, acupuncture and that sort of thing is not, again, not well established, um, you know, I have worked with acupuncturists in the past and I've trusted them and I know what they've been giving patients. I know it's not affecting their treatment. And so depending on that situation, I may feel it's okay to have them take that as long as I know what they're taking. Um, so I think it just depends on what patients are, are taking, but it's really important to ask and find out so you can counsel them. Yeah, excellent. And, and I, I want to underscore the progesterone. I can't believe the numbers of patients 
who uh, are, are getting progesterone and do not realize that if they take that all cycle, that's contraceptive uh, because of the negative impact that's having on the lining of the uterus. So, so great that you brought that up. And also acupuncture. You know, I was very enthusiastic like we all were in the beginning when, when the studies were coming out suggesting a higher uh, result, uh, outcome, uh, pregnancy rates. But uh, more, more and more uh, studies are showing that we're not getting um, definitive improvement in the live birth rate. So what I tell patients is that, hey, you know, if it makes you feel good, um, absolutely continue doing it. Um, but I can't give you the, re the, the uh, reassurance that it's increasing your chance for baby. Correct. So it, has to, it comes down to, I don't want them to ever feel obligated to spend their time or the money doing that because I can't guarantee that it's going to increase their chances. If they want exactly. to, they can feel free. Mark, exactly. can I just go back to the medications for a second? Of course. Um, I just want to talk real briefly about um, medications used for anxiety and depression because those are very common in our patient population. Um, you know, the guidelines from, again, uh, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, it does say that if women have mental health issues, anxiety, depression, or even other mental health issues, that they Oftentimes, I mean, again, they might need adjustment of their medications or to change their medications, but they should never just stop their medications because actually babies and moms do better when moms stay on medications and their conditions are well treated. So sometimes I'll see patients who will say, I'm going to try to get pregnant. I'm going to get off of my anxiety medication. And, you know, infertility treatment is a very, it's a very hard thing to do. And Often I will encourage those patients to stay on their medications, maybe, you know, make adjustments to make sure they're on the safest one we can put them on, as you talked about pregnancy classes. But um, I just try to make sure that women know that there are situations in which we want them to stay. Blood pressure medication is another example. Like they should stay on their medications, might need to be changed to a different one, but it's important that they stay healthy as they're trying to get pregnant. Yeah, excellent points. Th thanks, Brooks, for, 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 uh, for clarifying that. Uh, so... Something else to talk about. Uh, we're seeing tremendous amount of, of, of uh, new uh, products that are coming out to, for, for gene testing, uh, chromosome testing. Um, what, are you, what are you recommending these, uh, our patients? You know, the American College of Obergerin really uh, seems to recommend just cystic fibrosis testing and spinal muscular atrophy uh, as, as the main two. Uh, but now there's hundreds that can be tested. Are, are you seeing a lot of patients... Uh, opting to do that? I think it really depends on the patient and the counseling that they receive. I do, we do do that in our office, the, what they call carrier screening. Um, and just to, you know, clarify, that's screening the woman um, and the man to see if they could potentially pass on a um, potentially fatal disease to their children. And we test it often as they're trying to, especially before IVF, because if they actually were carriers, then they could test those embryos to make sure they weren't um, getting pregnant with embryos that are affected by these diseases. When I offer it to patients, I will often tell them, I just give them the options. Um, I think a lot of patients will choose to do it. If they choose not to do it, I will often say this will also be offered to you if, when you get pregnant during your prenatal visit. But if they choose to do it, I will say, you know, often for the same price, patients can have these recommended, whatever, eight or ten things checked or you can have these 200 things checked. But I always remind them that sometimes the more you look for, the more you find. And, um, you know, that might mean that they'll undergo more testing. Um, but, you know, I think it's really up to the patient in terms of what they're comfortable with. 
Yeah. And, and so for our listeners to know, uh, if you and your partner carry the same gene, you don't have the disease, but you're, car- you're both carriers, then baby has a 25% chance of having the disease. And, and that can be screened uh, either through in vitro fertilization with pre-implantation genetic te- uh, diagnosis or even uh, during the pregnancy. So that's the kind of things that we look at. I just want to touch briefly on uh, vaccines. Uh, all pregnant women should ensure that they have their annual flu vaccine. Um, and also to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also make sure that you're immune to the German measles, uh, not common virus, but when it, when it does occur during pregnancy, it's devastating with potential birth defects and mental redotation. Chicken pox, you want to be vaccinated for, or, or at least ensure that you're immune, hepatitis B. Um, the uh, pertussis vaccine, DTAB, uh, as well. So, so please be aware of that. And just to touch upon one more thing before I get back to asking Brooke a question, when we talked about supplements, please remember folic acid has uh, is, is been shown definitively to reduce the risk of neurotube defects, spina bifida. Um, and 800 micrograms actually uh, may improve fertility. So please ensure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so please ensure that you're on that. And vitamin D3 also may have some improvement in fertility and pregnancy health. So supplementing with vitamin D3, I usually will tell my patients to take around 2,000 international units of vitamin D3. Uh, Being in Florida... Can I just say um, just one more thing about the vitamin vitamin D, Mark? Um, In some of our patients, some of our patients, remember there's certain um, ethnic classes that are more risk for being low vitamin D. African-Americans are one of those classes. And there also might be an association between PCOS and vitamin D. So often if I have a patient who's an African-American with PCOS in my office, I really make sure that I check their vitamin D because, again, just trying to optimize things as much as possible and help them get pregnant may help. Excellent. Excellent. Um, being in Florida, uh, uh, we, we should remember about Zika. Um, Zika virus is, is devastating uh, if the infection occurs during pregnancy, um, and uh, it is cases have been fortunately dramatically reduced because of the awareness, but if, if either you or your partner have traveled to a country that is uh, endemic uh, with Zika, and you can find out the countries by going on uh, cdc.gov, G-O-V, cdc.gov forward slash Zika, Z-I-K-A, and that'll show you the places that, that uh, are risk for Zika. The woman, if, if you have traveled there, uh, is advised to wait two months before trying to conceive. Um, and the man, now it's three months. It used to be six months, but now the man needs to wait three months uh, to um, re- uh, uh, ensure that uh, there is a very, very low risk uh, after, after visiting those countries to, to, to reduce the risk of transmission uh, to baby. Um, so, important topic we, we move now to is, uh, is there a fertility diet and what about BMI? So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you handle those, uh, those very, very difficult subjects. Okay. Um, so, let's talk about diet and um, vitamins first. So, I wish, I wish, wish, wish there was something we could just tell our patients to eat that would help with their fertility. But they've looked, they've done studies in all kinds of diet, low-fat diet, vegetarian diets, organic diets, high-fat diets, enriched diets, you know, like keto, what's, what's the other one, uh, Whole30, all of that. And none of them seem to really help increase fertility. Um, there, 
they've done some like lo- like long-term studies on women without fertility where they've tried to say, oh, these women had kids and what were they eating during their life? And that's kind of where some people have read about eating, you know, full fat, dairy, and that sort of thing. But you just have to remember those were not studies done in infertility patients who then had better fertility after eating this diet. So I think we just want to make sure that people are eating a well-balanced diet, that they're eating lots of fruits and vegetables, that they're having good amounts of protein. But, you know, a lot of patients feel like they need to go out and spend a ton of money eating only organic or eating really clean. I mean, you know, try to do the best that you can, but I don't want anyone to think that they have to eat any special diet or if they're not eating any special diet that they're somehow making it harder for themselves. Well, there is, though there is information that the Mediterranean diet uh, not only has it been named the healthiest diet, but it does seem to have improved outcome with IVF. Um, all, all good food, uh, portion control, of course, but fish uh, instead of ch- uh, chicken and red meat and legumes and nuts and berries and, uh, and um, olive oil and all the things I love. And, and, and Brooke is a fellow Italian, so we all, we all love those kind of foods. So, Brooke, the extremes of body weight, pretty, pretty difficult for... Uh, or rather its impact on fertility. Uh, so can, can you speak to that for, 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 uh, as, we, as we finish up here? If, um, if patients can imagine, they always say that, um, well, they talk a lot about body mass index, and they always say that it looks like an upside-down U. So if you think about an upside-down U, and the people who are kind of in the middle have the greatest chance of getting pregnant, and the people who are at either end, so either low body weight or high body weight, have a lower chance of getting pregnant. Um, and... Also, patients who are at a very low body weight sometimes can have a higher risk of miscarriage as well. And then we know that there's um, impacts on fertility and pregnancy outcomes when patients have a greater body weight. They have done some studies looking at IVF as well, so overall fertility, then especially in vitro fertilization, um, looking at decreased um, fertility or decreased chance of getting pregnant with IVF. Um, One of the studies that I always talk to patients about is they say that for every point, your body mass index is over 30. It's like a point off of your chances of IVF. So if you had a woman who, you know, other people her same age, her chance of getting pregnant with IVF was 40%, but if her body mass index was 35, she may have a 35% chance, not a 40% chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the interesting is that, over the last year, I've been coming across some medical studies to show that the impact of BMI, elevated BMI, and IVF is not to the degree that we once thought. Um, but it does not remove the concerns of the risks during pregnancy, like the high blood pressure and the diabetes and risk of C-section and miscarriage and such. So um, definitely we're encouraging uh, body weight to be optimal. and. Unfortunately, given the prevalence of obesity in, in the United States, about almost 40% of adults being that way, not, a, not everybody's realizing that they are overweight because it, it does seem like there are more uh, uh, that are experiencing uh, issues with uh, elevations in body mass index. But it's important to realize that it's not just the elevations, it's the um, uh, low body weight, particularly uh, in in. Uh, athletes uh, that are that are not taking in enough calories and they're getting into an energy deficit. So there is a sweet sweet spot of body weight to uh, optimize uh, pregnancy outcome. Well, th- this was just 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 uh, a plethora of information, and I, and I want to thank uh, my my special guest, Dr. Brooke Rossi. Uh, she is in private practice 
at the Ohio Reproductive Medicine uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And so if you are in that area experiencing fertility issues, you please make sure that you look up Dr. Rossi. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Health Podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, check out the IVFcenter.com for all the notes, links, and tips mentioned in this episode. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please press the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss a future episode. And if you haven't given us a review or rating on iTunes yet, consider leaving a five-star review to help us reach and educate even more individuals in need. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.